All right, Mark 1, 14 to 28 says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have, you done to, uh, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, so grateful for your word, so grateful for the opportunity to be challenged and encouraged by it, um, to be uh, called to um, follow you in our lives. And we pray, Lord, this morning we'll be reminded of that, um, that following you is, is uh, not any new information that we're gaining, but, but a trust in an old piece of information that that we might have trusted before or we might be learning for the first time um, that you have come and you have paid the price for our sin and that we can be reconciled to God the Father through you. This is truly good news, a victory over the battlefield that's raging in our hearts. And pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you might remember from last week when we started out uh, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark starts with saying, uh, proclaiming the gospel that there is good news. Okay, he's, he's describing the subject matter that he's going to be dealing with as he shares this story to the persecuted church that is in the area of Rome. So we know that this message, this letter, is written to a group of people in Rome who are under the persecution of Emperor Nero. So Nero is going around killing Christians for uh, supposedly their, their role in fires going on in, in the cities. And so uh, blaming them as a scapegoat, and Christians are now being persecuted as, uh, and, and taken to basically be entertainment for people uh, unto their death. And so uh, Mark starts out his gospel saying, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what we learned last week is that that word gospel, good news, is a term that is describing victory as you come from the battlefield. It is news that has come from a battlefield declaring something good has happened inside the battle. And so the good news is that Jesus Christ has won. The victory is complete. He has come. And so as we're thinking about hearing that, if you are a persecuted church, what is good news? He's saying in spite of the fact that Christians now in your environment are being uh, persecuted, good news has come and is sure that Christ has died for sins. And so we're continuing that as you see the word gospel throughout or good news of the kingdom throughout. We're talking about 
the victory statement of Christ, that Christ has accomplished victory on our behalf. And that's what Mark wants this persecuted church to remember, that they have a victory that is beyond the temporal measures that they would see life with. Beyond the circumstances that they're looking at, victory has come in a very eternal sense. And so as we get started here in this passage, we see the transition from the time of John the Baptist to the time of Jesus. At the outset, we see uh, verse 14, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the victory of God, victory from the battlefield, Jesus is now proclaiming. This uh, marker of John being arrested is one that defines the understanding of Christ's ministry. Later on, when the disciples are choosing 12 in the book of Acts, they are looking for someone who has been with the disciples since the time of John's arrest. So the, the marker of having a full scope of seeing the ministry of Jesus and being qualified, therefore, to be a part of the 12 that are called to be apostles was the fact that you had seen Jesus' ministry from the, the beginning of John's arrest, or when John was arrested, on through his resurrection. So this is a marker Mark is calling out and saying that this is, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here, here it is. And this is what Jesus' message was. And, you know, again, as, as, a, as I've said and will say probably throughout this uh, time, Mark moves really quickly. And I, we, it's just speculation to say, but there's some reason he's going fast, okay? Of all the Gospels, he is going very quick. And I don't know if it's because the persecution is moving quickly and he's trying to get this letter out to them uh, and he's not, like, taking the amount of time to uh, put it together very thoughtfully and, and, and slowly as, like, a, a Luke does who takes a very strong, uh, thorough account of everything. Mark is just one thing to the next. But he has a clear message and a clear theme and we see it throughout his presentation of Jesus' ministry. He sums up Jesus' ministry teaching right here in verse 15, saying these three things. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I've been noticing as we go through these, at least these first sections, that Mark kind of gives a little bit of narrative and one statement from Jesus, and then a lot of narrative and one statement in the middle of it from Jesus, and then a lot of narrative and then one statement in the middle from Jesus. And it's so, so interesting to uh, see. I can't, I can't make the one-shot latte for it today. So, stuff. And there's no white macadamia nut cookies, so that's tough. Um, anyway, so, so, so he's got these, these statements. So I just encourage you, especially as we're walking through the Gospels, you might have a red-letter version of the Bible, just take a, take a note when you're seeing Jesus speak, okay, because what, what Mark is doing is highlighting Jesus' speech in the middle of these things as we go through. And so what Jesus says about his ministry is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Now, um, I don't, I'm not, a, I would not call myself a Greek scholar, okay? I've done some study in Greek because of seminary, but unfortunately, like, I'm gonna, like anything I say about Greek is going to be doubly tested because I know Luke's taken some Greek and, and Marcus knows ancient Greek and modern Greek and probably other forms of Greek as well. And so anyway, so unfortunately, like I've got a lot of Greek words to uh, highlight here in these three verses, which are important. So hopefully they're right. So we'll see. Um, so, so three statements there, right? First, the time is fulfilled. 
The word there for the time being fulfilled is kairos. The fullness of time has come. Okay? And so in, in the first statement, he's saying the time, okay, the, like the years have come. The years have come to fruition. That now it is time for something to happen. The time has been fulfilled. And so I think back just to the last chapter. What last chapter was fo- focusing on was John the Baptist and a, a, a calling back to, a renewal, if you will, of the covenant life of the people of Israel. To say, we got to be set apart. we got to repent for our sins. We are a broken nation, and we need to come before the Lord and renew our commitment to him. We need to repent for the things that we have done wrong. He doesn't do it in any scheme of the temple. He does it out right at a very important spot, right, in the Jordan River. Let's go back to the beginning of what this nation was about. Let's be baptized in the Jordan and remember when our fathers came across into this land by God's mighty hand. Let us repent and know that all of our life has been based on God saving us, okay? So that time of the Old Testament, and we've studied a lot of the Old Testament, so we know the things that have been fulfilled. So think about the people we have studied, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, all these figures were not sufficient in themselves, and neither was the law sufficient in itself. All those things, as we walk through the Old Testament, pointed forward to something that was needed because something is still lacking. And that thing that is needed is Jesus. Okay, so when he says the time has been fulfilled, okay, the time of, of having a kingdom that we're following, a king that is appointed, is done. The time of the law is done. The time of the prophets calling us back to those things that God has done is done. Okay, the time has been fulfilled, and Jesus is here. The second thing we see him say is, it sounds redundant if you read it quickly. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's kind of, it sounds like he's saying the same thing. But actually, the word engizo at this time was mostly used for a spatial presence, not a temporal presence, okay? So he's saying the time is here, okay, the time's been fulfilled, all right? All the time that needed to pass has come, all right? But now the kingdom of God is spatially here. He's pointing to himself, right? He's saying the kingdom of God is here. It is present among us. Not that any time is related to that, but rather it is here. It is present here. So Jesus is saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here, right? God's presence is here and at hand. It is not far off. So in light of the fact that the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is present here, what does Jesus call them to? Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Imagine being reminded of that as Christians persecuted in Rome, like wondering if someone's going to knock on your door, right? Wondering if one of your friends is going to be taken away or, or whatever, right? Repent and believe in the good news. That would be a very hard place to Continue to repent and believe in the good news. But that's exactly what Mark is highlighting from Jesus' life. He's saying this was Jesus' message. The kingdom is here. It is present. The time 
is fulfilled, and now repent and believe in the good news. You would have to, at that time, believe, continue to believe in the good news if you were seeing the circumstances around you at the time. The words uh, here, repent and believe, are in the Greek present imperative tense. Okay? So that means that they're not a single-time command, but they're an ongoing command. So it's not repent and believe one time, get baptized, say a prayer, and move on. It's no, live in a continual state of repentance and belief. Repent and believe in the gospel continually. Strive for it. Lean in it. Hold to it. Right? These words that we have studied through, through many things, right? Through Joshua and Hebrews and all these places, it's not just uh, raise your hand, say a prayer at church, and then like you're going to heaven. Everything's done. It's a calling and a commitment to follow something with the rest of your life, to live in a state of repentance and belief. Acknowledgement that not, not, not that I have sinned, but I am a sinner. My heart bent is towards sin, and I am repentant of that. And my, my hope is not in some action that I took in the past, but rather in continually in the action that has been done for me. So the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news that Jesus has accomplished the most important victory that can be had. He has conquered death and he's conquered the grave. And so no circumstance that we face is one that is greater than that. We will, and all of us have, faced financial hardships, relational hardships, as, as Marcus was asking us to think about, and, you know, who do we trust in, right? We trust in God in the midst of those, because the victory has already been won, and yes, those things are hard, but where are we taking them to? Are we taking them into our own hands, or are we taking them unto the Lord? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is here. Repent and believe in the victory that Christ has secured for us. So we see that this is the teaching of Jesus' ministry, verses 14 and 15. And, and next we see the calling that Jesus has on the disciples. Um, got a little, I think I've got a little map of Galilee. Sweet. Okay. We've got visuals for you. Um, I didn't know much about the Sea of Galilee. I learned a little bit about the Sea of Galilee this week. Apparently it's beautiful. Has anybody ever been to Israel? Okay, I haven't. I don't know what I thought of the Sea of Galilee, but apparently it's a great place. Um, it's 700 feet below sea level, which that's kind of weird to think about, 700 below sea level. Um, and it's set between two kind of mountain valleys or, or whatever. Um, and apparently you could have, they have like 14 different ports at the time. So there's like 14 different ports along the shores of Galilee at this time. So there's all these cities surrounding it. And the thing is teeming with fish. Um, at one point when Josephus was there during the, during the wars, um, he apparently commandeered 230 boats that were on the sea at one time. So the sea can hold lots and lots of boats, mainly fishermen who are trying to fish the teeming amounts of fish that are there in the Sea of Galilee. Okay? Um, and so all the fish that are being uh, you know, taken out of this sea were apparently sent all throughout the Greco-Roman world. It wasn't just like to local markets in Israel, but it was an export, a major export to the nations around them. So interesting context, right, for calling people to follow Jesus, right? There's, here's a beautiful picture of the Sea of Galilee. There you go. Um, 
just give you a little, little view. Jesus calling to, um, to these fishermen is, is calling to, to men. They weren't, it wasn't like they were out fishing for a hobby, okay? They weren't just like grabbing fish, you know, for their family to cook up for dinner. Like, they're professional fishermen, trained by their father, uh, fathers, uh, who apparently had hired servants to help them with this enterprise. Okay, so when Jesus comes and says to them, as we read earlier, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, and they leave immediately their nets, they're leaving a business that was surely their inheritance, right? I mean, the only people left are the hired servants um, of, of their father Zebedee, for, at least for James and John, and we'd assume the same for uh, Simon and Andrew. They're leaving an enterprise that has been very profitable and that you'd have to be very good at to maintain as an industry. And so they've been successful in this in some degree, even if they were kind of, you know, uh, blue collar in their profession. It was a profession that was highly skilled. Um, and so Jesus comes to them and says, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. Instead of fishing these fish and sending them out through the nations, eventually you're going to be fishing men from among all the nations. I think I had in my mind that, you know, that this wasn't some sort of enterprise or major business that they had. And my understanding of fishermen at the time and of Simon and Peter and all these that are called, I just, I just had a smaller view, right, of they're like casting a line and, and getting some fish. You know, like that's how they fed their family. I just didn't think about it very much as being like a major operation that would uh, be an international export from the region. You know, I just didn't have that in my head but that puts a little bit more color to what they are leaving to follow Jesus. Jesus comes to them and says, follow me, I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And the same with John, uh, James and John, his brother. They were mending their nets and immediately he called them and they left their boats and followed him. Well, we know for sure uh, about these fishermen. I mean, they, they might have heard about Jesus from the, the breadth and width of uh, John the Baptist's ministry because, like we said last week, like, he is not some small figure off in you know, the corner of the world. He is known, in fact, so known that Paul comes across his followers in Ephesus later on, like 40 years later. Okay? So the reach of John the Baptist was a lot greater than we give it credit for. Um, and so, so they were probably tracking with this fact that John the Baptist has this renewal ministry going, and John the Baptist has been saying, there is one that comes after me. So they don't have, uh, they don't have zero context for what Jesus is calling them to. They, they, might, they know a little bit about who Jesus is and probably has heard some of their teaching, but still the call to them is, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus, the one John the Baptist is foretelling. You remember John the Baptist, the huge rock star. I want you guys to follow me. And so at that point, their decision is, I'm going to leave my father and this business and follow Jesus. They weren't educated. The Pharisees and scribes point that out to them later on, these men who were uneducated. Um, they just knew that Jesus was who they needed to follow. And they followed him. Following Jesus is often uh, based on an action of faith 
before we fully comprehend the, the depth of it, the, um, the information that's involved. Like, I don't know about you, but how many of you understood everything about the Trinity when you bowed your knee to Jesus and said, I follow him? Anybody? Anybody? No? Yeah. The, how about the duality of Christ, both 100% man and 100% God? Anybody understand that or comprehend that when they said, I follow Jesus? No. These weren't theologians, and they didn't have to be, because all Jesus is saying is, I am the hope of the world. I am the good news of the kingdom, and I'm calling you to follow me. I'm not worried that you don't understand every bit of this. I just want you to know that I'm the Savior, and I've come. And so he calls these fishermen to step out of their boats and follow him, and they do it. Like, that's crazy. I mean, just imagine, you know, Jesus coming to your place of work and be like, hey, it's time to go. And you're like, this guy's dressed in sandals and some robe thing and interrupted my meetings and uh, just calling me to leave this thing, right? And that's kind of the equivalent. So Jesus' calling is one to, to act in faith, to put your faith in something you don't fully comprehend. And to trust him. So we see his ministry, we see his calling, and and finally we see in this passage his authority. There's uh, two things that happen in verses 21 to 28. We see both his authority in teaching, but also his authority over uh, over spirits. And when they came to Capernaum, which is one of the port cities around the Sea of Galilee, immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Instead of teaching them as a scribe who is an expert in the law and would be there explaining the law and saying, this is what the law says and this is what we understand from this and kind of walking through it, Jesus is there going, the kingdom of God is at hand, as in I am the presence of the kingdom. The time has been fulfilled, repent and believe. Like these are the messages and words that he is saying. He is maybe pointing to these scriptures and saying, opening up the scroll of Isaiah, right, as we read later, and saying, I am that person. And he's teaching with authority. So he's stepping into this place, the synagogue, where the leaders of the day, the scribes, who throughout the book of Mark are kind of the antagonists to Jesus, um, and he kind of one-ups them very quickly, teaching them with authority what the scriptures say. Second, while he's there at the synagogue, immediately, again, immediately, and immediately, and immediately, uh, there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. First testimony from anyone else in the scripture at this point of Jesus' identity is from the unclean spirit. Even the demons understand and shudder at what is going on. And Jesus, as we'll see throughout Mark, he says, be silent. He's trying to, you know, keep the things on, the, the screws on this thing, not get the word out too quickly. He rebukes him and says, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And all were amazed, and they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands unclean spirits that they obey him. 
Jesus' word is above all temporal leaders, that is the scribes, okay? His word has authority over all the leaders of the day. And his teaching and his authority is above all spiritual power as well. Even the unclean spirits obey his voice. So in this passage, we see the content of Jesus' ministry, the the nature of his calling, and finally, the power of Jesus' authority. So as we go from this, uh, just a a few things to take. Um, First, uh, just reflect again on what Jesus' ministry is. Because the cool thing about the ministry of Jesus is that it hadn't changed. (laughs) In 2,000 years, it's been the same, okay? There's no new knowledge. We're not like finding new knowledge about what it is to follow Jesus. It's, uh, unfortunately, it's it's, uh, completely simple and uh, unsearchably complex. But there's no new information. Again, he says that the time is here. It has come. A new uh, age has started. A new covenant is being ish- ushered in. The kingdom of God is present. And so we must live in a continual repentance and belief. Um, I love this because it reinforces a nice a nice shape that I've shown you guys a few times. This is great. Repent and believe. We've talked about this, this shape before um, and the idea that um, our faith is always about the gospel. Right? Throughout your life, you're going to always come to situations and scenarios that challenge your belief or situations where you have come into a place of sin. Okay? Situations that make you doubt what is going on, and that would be represented by the X on the top there, and the line on the top is your life, right? You're continually on this life. You're going about life, right? And you come to a moment where your faith in Jesus is challenged some way. You're, you're doubting, or, or you step into some sin. And what is the process to be restored on, the, on your journey to your, this walk of faith? It's the same every day, over and over. And you might experience this cycle every single day. You might experience it multiple times a day. Repent and believe. This is the message of Jesus. Not, oh, I already repented and believed. That was like back when I was seven. No. Continue. You're going to come up against every single day a marker in your life where you're questioning what God is doing in your circumstance, where you're wondering if, if this is really real still, or you're, you're sinning and hurting someone around you, and what is the process to continue on? It's to recognize that that moment is here, that your heart is doubting, or your heart is breaking, or your heart has been broken, and to repent, to look at it, to reflect on it, to discuss it with someone you trust, and then move forward, not by, you know, doing more good works to outweigh the bad that you just did, but rather believing in the same gospel that you believed at the beginning. Yeah. Came to this moment, and I failed again. And I recognize that. I repent. I might have to repent to someone specifically and say, I've hurt you, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. 
And how am I restored? To recognize that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior and place my belief and trust in Jesus. This ministry of Jesus is not changed. Okay? There's no new information for it. He is still proclaiming to our hearts today, repent and believe. You might experience, you know, 10,000 of these loops throughout your life or more. I don't even know. Like it's probably, un- you probably can't even count the number of times that each of us is going to go through this cycle in some way, form, or fashion. And it might take, sometimes it might be quick, sometimes it might be a slow process depending on what kind of thing we're up against. But it always comes back to the gospel. God sent his son to die on your behalf that you might be restored to God the Father who is in heaven. The time is now. The kingdom is here. And so we must live in a continual repentance and belief in our Lord Jesus. Victory has come in him. Second, um, the word is belief, which is like kind of like love, you know? Like one of these words, it's like, how do you actually define it? I mean, you could look up a definition of it or whatever, but how do you actually feel all of its parts, right? You can't. You cannot describe it fully. And so just as we saw Jesus was calling to the disciples to follow me, the same is true with Jesus and you today. There's all sorts of things that, you know, the Lord hasn't stopped calling out to you to follow him. Okay, he, he continues to call you to a new thing. It might be a new opportunity at work. It might be a totally different direction in your career. It might be some, some change in your family. What, whatever it is that he is calling to you and saying, he is not going to give you all the information you need. He just doesn't. I wish he'd lay out the five-year plan and just say, okay, on day one, I need you to do A, B, C, D, and E, and part two of A, C, whatever it is. I don't know. Right? I wish you'd just give us that, that full layout of this is what you need to do and we can just follow it. Sometimes like, you want just that. But he says, follow me. Just Why don't you take this step? Take this one step and trust me in it. And don't worry about the things that you do not know. This is faith. This is how we follow Jesus as he calls. Just as Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the, sh- the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The constant call of Jesus in our life is to trust him even when we can't see with our eyes what the outcome is or how it's going to work out. This was the call to the disciples in Mark. He says, I know that you're serving a dad who has a very successful fishing business on the Sea of Galilee, but I'd like you to come follow me. Um, I don't have a house, by the way, and so just, just trust me. I could, like, cannot get myself there experientially, right? You just can't. Um, you know, we, we talked about it some on on, uh, on Thursday, like how could these men step away from this environment and follow Jesus? Like what are they, like what is going through their heads? And the one thing that I was kind of, I don't know, but like just struggling with wrapping it around is that, you know, 
Again, John the Baptist is this powerful figure, and there's this huge movement of him talking about, there's one that comes after me. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and so if it's Jesus, then, then what are they expecting from Jesus? What are they expecting him to do? Well, the fact is, as we look through the Gospels, we kind of see what their expectation is of Jesus as a leader. But we see them expect that they're going to rule with him on thrones. We see them expect that he is going to overthrow Rome and Israel and reestablish the nation somehow. Okay, we see temporal expectation from them as they follow Jesus. And throughout their time following Jesus, this disposition or understanding is being wrecked over and over again. Until at some point, Jesus is like, hey, by the way, I'm heading to Jerusalem, and that's where I'm going to die. And can you imagine, like, all the stuff going through their heads about, like, okay, this powerful movement of Jesus, and he's healing all these people, and powerfully speaking, and now he's saying he's going to die? I mean, they would be just, like, in, in a really weird spot. Because on one hand, you're seeing the evidence of his power, and on the other hand, you're saying, that's not the best political move for a military takeover of our country to advance us into the Messianic age. Like, what are we... That is not what I had in mind, Jesus, for you to go and die. But he calls them to follow, and so they follow, maybe with the wrong expectation, but certainly not knowing what they were going to receive. And what we find, just as we saw at the beginning or at the end of our passage today, Jesus is not here for temporal authority. He's not just here to upend the, uh, the authority of the scribes or the authority of Rome. His kingdom is bigger than temporary. He's over all spiritual authority as well. Jesus has all authority. He isn't coming back to just establish Israel again. He's coming back to create a new Israel, one that is living in our hearts as we are submitted to the Father in heaven. It reminded me of uh, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. I recently have been reading through that for some reason, I don't know why, um, that, says, uh, that says this. Uh, I'm going to read, it's a long passage, but, but I think it kind of describes the length and breadth of the authority that Jesus was after instead of what the disciples may have thought. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus' authority is over 
all things. He is not just bringing us a quick fix to our temporary circumstances. He is giving us victory in every area of our life, emotional, spiritual, you know, the whole thing. He's saying, I have an answer for you, and it's to trust in me and trust in my ways and my plan for you. And so Mark, as he's encouraging the persecuted church in Rome, is saying, victory has come. Jesus has authority over all things. Yes, I know the emperor is after you. Yes, I know the circumstances do not look good for you. But your faith has never been about this world. It's always been about something greater than that. So trust in the midst of even the most difficult of circumstances that Jesus is all in all. He's above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Jesus challenges uh, some of the day that you can fear man, but man can only harm the body. Fear one who can uh, keep your soul. Trust in Christ, who is above all things. Yeah, he's not going to tell you every step along the way, but his plans for you are good. They're plans of victory over every single circumstance that you're facing. And so to let us live in light of this, repentant and believing in the gospel every single day, reminding ourselves, where is my hope? Is my hope in the things I'm building up? Or is my hope in the Savior, Jesus Christ, who has died for me? Who am I trusting, myself or my God? Who am I trusting, my nation or my God? Who am I trusting, my employer or my God? Who am I trusting? My kids or my God? My spouse or my God? Who am I trusting? Where is my hope? Is it in the things of this life or is it in the one who is above all life? Jesus. Let us follow him every day with all that we have. In Jesus' name, let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to study it. We we're challenged um, by your boldness. God, you call those who are unworthy, who are not qualified, who are insufficient, and you make them qualified, and you prepare them. Lord, these fishermen you called off their boats to serve you, not in a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom that is beyond this world, the kingdom of God. So Lord, I pray that the message that you proclaimed over their lives, that you proclaim over our lives, that we would embrace it. As we go through our day, we would live in, in a, a constant awareness that, that we need to repent, that we are sinners, and that our belief and our hope is in in a God who has secured the victory. It is done. There's nothing more we can add to it. And I thank you, God, that we don't have to understand every little bit, because I don't. Your ways are greater than mine, and that is a, um, a comfort to my soul. There's not, uh, the smartest person in this earth cannot uh, come close to comprehending your ways. 
And so we thank you that even still you call us out in faith to follow you in spite of understanding and that in the, in the midst of not understanding even, you give us peace. Lord, I pray that um, we would submit to you, trust you, God, because you are over all temporary authorities, you are over all eternal or spiritual authorities. Lord, we commit fresh again this morning that we repent and we believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Um, so we're going to transition to a time of prayer.